Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey y'all, welcome back to Ego Chic. This is episode 94 of the podcast about practical science and sustainability. My name is Laura Diaz. I'm pumped to have you today for another call-in episode, a Chic Chats episode. I'm really excited. These are my favorite kinds of episodes to put together because I like to hear from you. I want to know how you're feeling. I want to know what your experiences are, and I want to hear your take on the sustainability conversation. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while, you might remember this sentiment that I always like to share before a call-in episode, that podcasts are inherently a very intimate medium. You're getting to know my voice and my mannerisms, and in some cases, my opinions, And it's sometimes hard to imagine that there is a community behind this show. There are more people listening than you and myself. So I think it's a lot of fun to be able to put these collections together because it's a great way to see that we have a lot of shared experiences and a lot of new perspectives that might be bringing some ideas to light in your life. And I also really like to think of this podcast as not my show. I want it to be just as much yours as it is mine. So these call-in episodes are really special to me and they're my favorite kinds of episodes to put together. And with that, today's is a little different from other Chic Chats episodes that we've done in the past. Typically, we have four or five callers and everyone is contributing to some central conversation or some central theme. So, for example, the last call-in episode we did, which was episode 88, I believe, I'll link it in the show notes if you want to go back and listen. It was a really, really good one. We spoke to six different people across different industries about their careers and how it relates to environmentalism. So, when we talk about corporate sustainability or we talk about nonprofit work or we talk about PR, there are a lot of people who experience these careers in ways that really align with their values when it comes to environmentalism and sustainability. That was a really cool episode to add some perspective to maybe your career search or your better understanding of all the different roles that you may have in this environmental movement. We've done a call-in episode about dating. We've done a call-in episode about experiences abroad and how different countries interact with the environmental movement and sustainability. All really awesome episodes where people have been able to give their experiences and their perspectives, like I mentioned. So today's episode is a little bit different because I originally set out to explore this social construct, this stigma that environmentalism for some reason is maybe for women. And I've been hearing a lot about this and I've actually received quite a few questions about this. So I thought that this would be a great conversation for us to explore as a whole. And essentially the question is, Why is sustainability and sustainable habits sometimes associated with femininity? Sometimes there are conversations around men who recycle or carry their reusable bags and they don't want to partake in that experience because somehow it has a stigma attached to it. 
And I thought this was an interesting conversation to explore because it's a very social psych kind of conversation to have. I've read a little bit of research about it, but there isn't a whole lot. And I also thought this would be a really interesting topic to bring up because I have an episode on ecofeminism that came out right when the podcast first started. I want to say it's episode 28 or so, if you want to go back and listen to that about two years ago. And for some reason, that's an episode that I always get feedback on. I hear people going back and listening to it pretty often. Ecofeminism is essentially a concept, I believe it's more rooted in philosophy, and it's typically just written about in academia, but ecofeminism is this concept that we equate Mother Earth with feminism in general, and that's why maybe some people don't care so much about Mother Earth. Perhaps the oftentimes lower status of women in our societies is equated with a lesser regard to the environment. So that's just a really brief summary. I hope I didn't butcher anything, but it's a really interesting concept if you're interested in exploring it. And I think that today's conversation pairs nicely with that concept. We're looking at men or people who identify as male and exploring the concept that maybe they're not participating in sustainable habits because they don't want to be stigmatized in any way. So I want to first emphasize that this is a very opinion-based, big-picture philosophy-type episode. I'm not out to completely rewrite any sort of thesis out there on why it is that men sometimes don't want to participate in these sustainable habits. However, I do want to emphasize that this is a conversation that's happening a lot in friend groups, whether it's between you and your circle, you and your significant other. People are having a hard time talking about environmentalism and sustainable habits, with certain men in their lives. So if this is a conversation that may be helpful to you, feel free to put on this episode in the background of whatever it is that you're experiencing. And I hope that this gives you a little bit of perspective. So I'm speaking with two men today. And if you remember, I just mentioned, we typically speak with four or five different callers on these call-in episodes. However, these were two really in-depth conversations that I felt stood a lot of ground on their own. And I felt like they did really, really well together in conjunction. I really enjoyed both of these conversations for different reasons. So first, we're going to hear from Ryan. Ryan is someone I've never met before, and he actually saw on social media a post that I made asking for people to call in for this particular episode. And Ryan has a really thorough understanding or a really thorough idea of what he believes is behind this stigma. And I liked his conversation very much because it read very much like a thesis. He's clearly spent a lot of time thinking and forming these ideas, and I think that he explains them in a very eloquent way. So I want us to open up with that conversation and looking at the male population in a very general form. And then afterwards, we are speaking with my friend CJ, who you've heard from twice on this podcast, actually. Most recently, we had an episode about the value of experiential education, and I will go ahead and link that episode in the show notes. It's a really, really great conversation about expanding your environmental education outside of a traditional classroom setting and the value of that. So I think that because CJ and I are such great friends and we've known each other for a while now, we are able to have a very open conversation. And towards the end of our talk, I actually open up a little bit about my eco-anxiety and not necessarily wanting to label myself as an environmentalist right off the bat with a new group of people. So adding to that stigma and that conversation of why is it that we are a little bit nervous about talking about environmentalism sometimes. So I think these are two really awesome conversations. And I also want to give a little bit of a disclaimer that, again, this is a very opinion-based episode. I'm not here writing a thesis. I'm not here explaining anything that is concrete 
and factual. It's a very different episode than anything I've put out before. And I really hope you take it with a grain of salt. I do have a little bit of a fear that I'm not presenting things in a politically correct way, even though I try to. I really do want to emphasize that these are very general conversations and very open-minded, big picture generalizations again. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and share it with a friend. I think this is a really good one to share and spread the message a little bit, spread the awareness and open up this conversation. Come hang out on social media at Podcast on Instagram is where I primarily live and that's a really fun time. My personal page is also always linked in the show notes. EcoChic is also available on Facebook to like it. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at totallyecochic.com. That's also where you can sign up for our newsletter. It comes out once a week full of cool environmental things going on in the news, news from the podcast, news from the shop, all good stuff. So totallyegochic.com is where you can go to sign up for that newsletter. I hope you learn a little something. I hope this is some food for thought. And with that, let's get right into today's episode. Why is environmentalism sometimes stigmatized as feminine? Ryan, before we get started, let me know your age and where you're calling in from. I am 27 and I'm calling in from outside of the Philadelphia area. Great. So I'm really excited to hear a little bit about your experience with this stigma, this social concept of femininity being equated to environmentalist habits. What are some of your takes on that or some of the experiences that you've had around those issues? Sure. So um, I guess kind of to preface I would say that I'm definitely a pretty strong environmentalist, and as I'm sure you can tell from my voice, um, I am male. This is definitely something that I've experienced kind of throughout the past couple years as I've become more and more environmentally conscious. And I actually saw your request, you know, asking for people to call in and discuss this topic through a friend's Instagram story that she uh, reshared. So I figured, you know, it's something that I've thought about quite often and that I've talked about with other people. Um, considering I've kind of been the, the subject of these stigmatisms to an extent. So I felt like I could, you know, personally relate to it. Plus the fact that I've put a lot of thought into it myself, just because I'm wondering why people think a certain way about me. So I figured it'd be a, a really good opportunity to kind of share my thoughts and my opinions. I think it can be broken down into kind of two main pressures, I guess, that men face. And, and one's more kind of societal and one would be more biological. But before, before we kind of get into that, the way that I've analyzed these different types of men, I think it's you know, important to start off by categorizing men into different groups based off of their thoughts and feelings on the environment. And then once we kind of split them up into these different groups about their thoughts, you can look a little bit deeper into, okay, why do they feel this certain way? And you know, what's the root cause of it? So I've put some thought into this, you know, before this call, and I really think you can kind of classify men down into three main types of groups when it comes to their thoughts and feelings on environmentalism. So you have the first group, which is, you know, men who care about the environment and try to limit their environmental impact. You have the second group of men And these are men who really just, you know, honestly don't really care either way about the environment. They don't try to limit their environmental impact. 
but they also don't you know, actively try to harm the environment or uh, have bad thoughts or feelings towards people would consider themselves environmentalists. So we have those two groups. And then I think we have kind of a third group, um, which I've really only start to experience over maybe the past like five, 10 years as environmentalism has become a little bit more mainstream. And this is the group of men who I would say actively criticize environmentalism and sometimes even to the extent of actively harming the environment. Examples of this are people who install coal rollers on their pickup trucks, which, you know, um, burn coal and increase emissions or purposely throwing recyclables in the trash. Or I've even seen a couple videos online of, of people who will, you know, show a video of Greta Thunberg's speech and then start their car up and idle it in the driveway, like out of spite, which to me is, is really weird. It, they're almost trying to go above and beyond and show that they're not, it's not that they don't care about the environment. They're, they're literally trying to harm it even more so than they would, um, you know, just going about their normal daily lives. To kind of recap, we have group one, which are men who care about environmentalism. We have group two, men who are relatively indifferent to environmentalism. And group three, men who criticize or have this negative stigma with environmentalism. Looking at that first group, men who care about environmentalism, I don't really think there's like a, a negative stigma associated among men who care about environmentalism, you know, amongst each other, since, you know, they all kind of think the same. So it's not like someone who cares about the environment is going to think negatively about someone who also cares about the environment. So we can kind of, I guess, ignore group one to an extent. I think among group two and group three is where you'll tend to find people who associate environmentalism with femininity. I would definitely say more so in that group three, those men who, who actively criticize environmentalism and, and, and feel like they have to go above and beyond to prove that they don't care about the environment. Looking a little bit at group two, and then we can go into group three a little bit later. Men who are relatively indifferent to environmentalism. Not all of them, I would say, would associate environmentalism with femininity. I would say, you know, maybe some of them do. I've experienced that, you know, a little bit. Um, but I would say that the men who are indifferent to environmentalism, I think the reason that it is associated with femininity to an extent is that if you go back, you know, let's say 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 years, um, and you look at some of the pressures that the human race experienced, evolutionary pressures that the human race experienced, you know, over these hundreds of thousands of years, you know, you'll find that you ended up with two different sexes, you know, male and female, both of which have very different physical and also mental differences among them. I mean, so you look at, you know, the average cross-section of the male population and you look at the average cross-section of the female population and you look at them, you know, from a physical standpoint, it's very obvious that on average, men tend to be taller than women. And on average, men tend to also be physically stronger than women when it comes to lifting heavy objects. And, you know, are there women that are taller than men? Yes, definitely. And are there women that are stronger than men? Definitely. I can, I can guarantee I've met some in my life that are stronger than I am myself. But when you look at the averages, 
you know, what I'm saying is, is men tend to be a little bit stronger. Men tend to be a little bit taller as well. And that's just a, a physical comparison. And I think what hasn't really been studied a lot is the mental comparison between men and women. So if you go back again, you know, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 years ago, evolution always selected the men that were stronger or were taller because, you know, they were better hunters, better fighters, better at killing, better at lifting up things and building things, so on and so forth. And then when you look at women who, you know, back 100,000, 200,000 years ago, even up till relatively recent times, women generally took on the role of caring for young and caring for the offspring. And I think that through these evolutionary pressures over the years, that women came to be much more caring and compassionate than men were. And that's just due to the nature of what evolutionary pressures they experienced. So, for instance, you know, women who were much more caring and compassionate mothers to their children and their offspring, those offspring grew up and were successful and were able to recreate. And, and same thing goes for their fathers. You know, the, the, the fathers who were stronger, were better at protecting, larger, same thing. Those children were able to grow up, create offspring, and there you have that kind of evolutionary pressure. So I think kind of when it comes down to it, when we, t when we go back to talking about how you know, men are indifferent to environmentalism in this group number two that we're talking about. I think a lot of that can kind of tie back to these evolutionary pressures I just mentioned, where women have, I think, in my opinion, have a much better capability of being caring and compassionate and more in line with their emotions and feelings than men do on average. You know, are there men who are more compassionate than your average women? Sure. I'm, I, you know, I'm sure there's exceptions out there. But I think getting to the, the root cause of why these people in group two, why these men um, are indifferent to environmentalism, I think it just comes down to they don't really have that caring or compassionate gene as much as women do. So kind of by default, that means, you know, women who are on average more caring and more compassionate tend to care about the planet Earth, you know, which is arguably the most important thing we have and, you know, provides us with fresh air, water, food, life. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, you have this group too, the men who are relatively indifferent to environmentalism simply don't have or don't have an interest in that level of caring or that level of compassion about things that they value as important. To kind of sum up, you know, this, this group two, men who are indifferent to environmentalism, their association with femininity, it's honestly, I think a lot of it comes down to, in this case, the, the biological differences among men and women. Women tend to care more, tend to be more compassionate, they care about the environment. Men, on the other hand, don't tend to be as caring, don't tend to be as compassionate, therefore there isn't as strong of an association with caring about the environment. So I don't think in this group too, the men who are indifferent, there isn't a, a I wouldn't say that there's like a negative feminine uh, stigma associated with environmentalism. It's kind of more of just like a, an overall association, not really like, oh, you know, he cares about the environment. He's feminine. That's a bad thing. It's more just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, he cares about the environment. It's generally most women who care about the environment. You know, it's a little bit feminine, but you know, whatever. It's not the end of the world.
And then when we get into now group three, we're talking about men who actively criticize environmentalism. They associate anyone who's environmentally friendly, you know, any products that are environmentally friendly, anything of that nature, they associate with negativity. It's something that they dislike, you know, they lash out at, sometimes even to the extent of going above and beyond and actively doing more damage to the environment just to show that they don't care about the environment. With this group, I think it's this, I would say it's almost kind of like a radicalized version of someone who's indifferent about the environment. They dislike the environmentalist movement so much, they almost do things to spite them. And I really think that the root cause of this can be tied back, not really to, to biological, like I mentioned with the previous group. I think this ties a lot more into the societal upbringing and thought process that the Western culture instills on young men as they're growing up. And, you know, I think there's kind of this persona that, that is pushed on younger men that they have to be tough. You know, they can't show their emotions. They're not allowed to cry in public. They have to go play football and, you know, grow up and eating meat, eventually grow a beard and a mustache and, and drink whiskey. And the only emotions you're allowed to show are anger and stoicism and hunger. I think, you know, the, the media perpetuates that to an extent in movies and TV shows. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of it as well is, you know, the cultural upbringing. I mean, you look at different cultures, it's a lot more welcome to show emotion and, you know, hold hands with other men in public if you're friends. Whereas in the U.S., that's very, very shunned thing to do. Men are taught from a young age to hide their emotions and any emotion, you know, whether that's sadness or even happiness or, or compassion. You just kind of are taught to be this stoic man that knows everything but doesn't show it. So when you have a group of people that have basically been <laughs> repressed, if we want to call it that, with their emotions and their thoughts and their feelings, I think the end result is that you end up with kind of these radical outliers who become so focused on the fact that they need to be as manly as possible, which to them, you know, the, what they were taught is eating meat or, you know, driving a big truck that's not fuel efficient, burning trash, or, you know, anything that seems very manly to them, they decide, you know, that environmentalism, it, it kind of freaks them out because they've been taught their entire life, you know, they have to retain their emotions, they can't be caring, they can't be compassionate. And they see these other men walking around being caring and compassionate environmentalists. And I'm sure that they feel confused or, they feel like something's not right because they were taught something totally different growing up their entire life. And they probably start to become scared that someone's going to look at them and think they're not manly. So they decide to kind of one up the person next to them and, you know, be extra super manly, <laughs> you know, whatever that consists of for them, you know, installing a coal roller on their truck or filming your car idling in the driveway to spite the environmentalists whatever that is, they're going to do something to try to prove that, hey, look, I'm the manliest man out there. I do man things. I eat meat. <laughs> I burn trash in my backyard. And I have a very fuel and efficient car because it makes me manly. And I think that 
the, it almost, and I'm sure this might sound like some, to some people out there that this kind of sounds true as well for, you know, people who are extremely, extremely homophobic. It's almost like they see something, they're confused by it. They don't want to be associated so much with it that they actively go out of their way to harm other people, hurt other people's feelings, um, and really make people feel down because they're kind of confused and angry and they don't really know how to process those emotions because from age one, they were taught to repress those emotions and hide them. So I think when it comes to this, I guess, new era or new wave of anti-environmentalist radicalism, if you want to call it that, I think a lot of it ties into the, the insecurities and the need to fit that image of Western manliness. I think there is, you know, maybe a little bit of biological play as well in it, you know, knowing that showing that you care about something, showing that it's, you know, you're compassionate, you know, might be viewed as a weakness or, or something associated with, um, you know, feminism. But I, I really do think that the majority of this, this group three, this men who actively criticize environmentalism really ties into kind of the, the, the societal upbringing of men not wanting to show emotion and not being, not being able to show emotion. That's, that's pretty much my ideas summed up. And, you know, to kind of recap, you know, the, the men who are indifferent to environmentalism, I think that ties back into the biological evolutionary pressures that um, men faced were, were different than women. And the result is that on average, you know, men aren't as compassionate or caring um, as women. So that kind of sums up group number two. And then to sum up group number three are the, are the men who, you know, actively criticize environmentalism and are associated with negativity. I think this really ties into societal pressures that, um, you know, we've, uh, we've created over the past 100, 200 years that men, you know, can't show emotion, um, can't express their feelings, can't express um, care or compassion. Um, and then they decide to basically lash out and prove that, you know, there is mainly as a man can be <laughs> in doing that, um, end up actively harming the environment to prove that they're men and they don't care about things that are associated with, with um, feminism. So that's, uh, that's pretty much my thoughts. Um, sorry for running on for, I don't know, what was that, 10, 15 minutes or so? <laughs> um, yeah, that was great. Honestly, you have such a well-organized idea of this concept of this stigma. And I almost don't want to ask you anything else because I feel like that read so well. Like, it really was, it was like a TED Talk. Like, I feel like I learned a lot from you yeah. because you gave a lot of really good food for thought and a lot of really good generalizations. I really appreciated that you spoke about men and women as, you know, average mm -hmm. um, compilations as opposed to saying all men or all women. Sure. Yeah. I also think it's really interesting that you, you can think about some of these groups of men as suppressed groups, as people who have not had the ability over time to talk about compassion and to talk about mm -hmm. their feelings. And, and it's also a really interesting parallel that you gave about people who are extremely homophobic 
and a lot of times environmentalism is something that's really new to people and it's something Mm -hmm. that does challenge people's values and I think that you have a really good like well-rounded understanding of how it can do that to different kinds of people like there's not really one answer yeah yep yeah it's 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 I think it's just a culmination of you know many different pressures whether they're biological whether they're um, you know, societal, it's, it's, it's hard to tell the exact answer, but I mean, I think from what I've seen, I would agree that there definitely is from men, a, a negative stigma associated with environmentalism. It's, I mean, I, I can say, I mean, that's just, you know, one sample size, that's just me. <laughs> um, but from other people that I've heard, I, I, I think that, you know, they've experienced the same things. I guess my um, adventure or progress into environmentalism kind of started off slow. I mean, I'm an electrical engineer, so I was messing around with solar panels. I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, solar energy is kind of neat. And then, you know, it's kind of like one thing led to another. I started, you know, trying to drive, you know, more fuel efficient. Then I looked into, okay, you know, how much CO2 emissions am I emitting when I'm driving to work, when I'm flying on planes for work? You know, maybe I should offset that. And then, you know, one thing led to another and then I'm looking up, you know, CO2 emissions for the average serving of beef and pork and, you know, cheese versus, you know, more a a vegan based diet. Um, And I guess for any of the men out there who are listening, who have, um, I guess, experienced this negative stigma or not even necessarily negative stigma and more of just, you know, let's say um, people tend to associate you as being feminine or anything. I mean, I would say that I've. I've cut people out of my life who have shared those negative thoughts with me and really want to judge me on what I eat or, you know, how I drive my car or if I offset my carbon footprint for my flights. (laughs) And you'd think that things like that wouldn't really bother people. But I think that this is such a hot topic that people feel very emotional with it. And I guess just, just my, you know, my advice is to try to surround yourself with like-minded people. And, you know, if that means cutting out someone who's super toxic or super negative to, you know, something that you enjoy and you find passion in, then, you know, don't be afraid to cut that person out. It's, you know, it's part of, um, part of growing up and, and part of figuring out who you are. CJ. Welcome back. I am happy to have you. Let us know before we get started your age and where you are calling in from. What's up, Laura? Thank you again for having me back on. I am CJ Casey. I am 24 and I currently live in Missouri, but I am from Chicago. I am really excited to be talking to you today about environmentalism and masculinity, environmentalism, and maybe some stigmas associated with it. And I'd love to kind of hear your general thoughts first on why environmentalism is sometimes stigmatized as feminine habits or feminine comparisons or anything along those lines. Yeah, and I think you have the perfect person on the other line of this call being me because I think I'm probably one of the most manliest dudes ever. I'm a big sports guy and all this. I'm saying this all tongue-in-cheek. can't really tell because it's over audio. But I, like many people, growing up and through high school and through college and all that, I never thought about climate change or my impact on the world or like what my choices made and the impacts it made on me. And then I had gone to Iceland for a little bit and realized like, oh my God, this world is bigger than just me in my life. And so at that moment, my climate identity and my climate identity 
switched, flipped right on its head. And I started thinking more ecologically. But every time I was talking to someone and I needed to mutter like environment or climate change or changes you can make for sustainability, every time I was hitting those keywords, I feel like I would say it in like a tone, a decibel lower than any other word in my sentence. And then just wait for like the other person to look at me with resentment and like, oh, you're one of those people. And that was, as soon as I saw that, it didn't really sink into me until probably maybe like a couple months ago, even like, so this was a year of this going on that I was like, why was I getting these feelings? And it came back to the fact of, am I stigmatizing myself to where I shouldn't concern myself with the environment or with environmentalism because I'm a male? And that's where the whole stigma started like unfolding in my head. That's a really thorough understanding of how you came to terms with it. And I would love to hear a little bit more about what the stigma looks like in your life, maybe like among your friends or in your circles and how you kind of have circled this conversation about like bringing this stigma to life and coming to terms with the idea that we are all kind of stigmatizing climate change as a feminine issue or something that maybe we shouldn't be talking about too loudly in our circles or something along those lines. What does this look like amongst your friend groups, like in real life? Yeah. So this was, once I, this came to my head and I heard that you were throwing this issue out on a podcast, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to actually put boots on the ground and do research of my own. So I had created a Google poll. I threw out polls on Instagram and Twitter. My main thing I was looking for was, will someone change their diet if it's going to benefit the climate? Because if you're looking at a plant-based diet, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization, livestock contributes to 14.5% of global human-caused greenhouse gases. So that's a significant chunk and a very easily alterable chunk. You don't need to go and put solar panels on your roof or buy a new car. It's a very little change to your daily routine that can affect climate change. Will someone in my friend group take the initiative to make that change in their life to benefit the environment? So I reached out, used that question, and asked a bunch of people and took the notes of who said yes, where they were from, what percentage of males, what percentage of females. And it tur- as it turned out, the total yeses for this entire question, that they would change their diet, they would give up meat and dairy for one day a week. That's it, just one day. The total people that said yes were 74% of those people. And of those 74, it, I broke it down into male and female, 57% of females said they would, 43% were males and said they would. So the female majority there kind of presented the idea that, okay, so I could see that more females are willing to give up meat than males in this group, because it was basically pretty even when I split it apart. But looking at the other end is where I really saw like a light went off in my head. So the 26% that said that they would not give up meat at all, that was broken down. And if you broke that down, 80% of that total no population was male. So that's an astounding number compared to the split of yes. So everyone that was saying no was basically a male compared to an even split of people saying yes. So the men didn't want to give up that one day of meat, that one day of dairy, that one day of ice cream, whatever you want to say, but they didn't want to give it up. Why? Is it because they don't want to alter their diet? I don't know. I also asked some of my other friends that were athletes in high school or college. They had a little bit more of a stricter diet per se in their own regard, where they had to keep up caloric intake, protein intake, so that they would be the peak optimal athlete in a sense, recover better and all that. And they were saying that their main thing is they want to make sure they can get all of their meats, all of their proteins, 
because they can't get that from plant-based diets. They can't get that from cutting out meat, cutting out dairy, which in reality, they're taking an easy way out. They're saying, oh, I can't do it because I didn't look into it. They think that their gains are being lost going from meat to no meat in their diet. And it was alarming to me. I was like, oh, but if you did the research and looked into it, you're actually getting a healthier diet if you cut out meat for that one day. You'll get more nutrients. You'll actually be a better athlete on top of what you're doing. But to them, it appears to be them not being as manly. They're not eating the red meat. They're not the carnivore that they are, the caveman, their inner stigma of being a macho man. That was the biggest hurdle that they couldn't get over in order to make that change and with just like the people in my general circle. Interesting, because I feel like I hear that argument a lot about protein. And if you are someone who's like trying to gain muscle, if you're working out a lot, whatever, you can't be a beacon. And it's interesting also to think about how you were just asking about one day a week, like one day without dairy, one day without meat, because you're not asking anyone to change their lifestyle. And you're asking in a very hypothetical situation where it wouldn't even be really asking that much. You know, you're not asking anyone to go out and become a climate activist overnight. So I'm also curious to know how your relationship with this concept has changed since you've started asking people about it and thinking more about how climate change is sometimes stigmatized. I'm interested to know like, if you have maybe become more active in talking about these things with your friends, how you are kind of bringing these issues more to light now that you're thinking more about them. Yeah. So when I was doing the whole research for this all, I immediately reached out to the four or five guys that I always bounce like weightlifting ideas off with or their diet ideas, like just to be a, cause I know they all, we all went to different schools for athletics. So to get their opinions on those things was beneficial to me. So I bounced all of these like food options off to them. I was like, Hey, so right now tell me what your exact diet is. And they read it off to me and I was like, Oh, well, that's kind of weird. Cause then I like analyzed my diet and I was like, well, if I balance this out, so say friend one would eat sausage, eggs, bacon for breakfast. And I looked at my breakfast and I'm eating tofu and eggs, both lower in kilograms of carbon emitted and the same amount of protein. And I'm like, hey, why wouldn't you switch to this? And then you get this extra dietary fiber introduced into your meal, which is better for you. And they're like, oh, and I guess I never really saw that. They would like send me like their lunches and it'd be like brats fries, hamburgers, meats. And when I looked into it, I looked towards the protein content in meat based off of the carbon emissions per gram of protein. And when you lay out the whole chart there, it's incredible. It's lamb, beef, and cheese are your top three. And they are almost triple the amount of what chicken, egg, and like pork are. Whereas it's just an easy switch to even still keep eating meat and bump down to that. And um, after I was looking all this up, I decided to put it together in a big, like easy consumable blog, base out how much you could alter your diet for one day a week and what your offset in carbon emissions would be. And it was actually pretty astounding. So the daily total of kilograms of carbon for a regular meat diet, steak, potatoes, brats, sausage, eggs, vegetables, all of that, you would get about um, 7.8 kilograms of carbon emitted for that one day. whereas if you flipped it over and you had tofu, you had Beyond Burgers, you had a Mediterranean quinoa power bowl, um, you were roughly at three and a half grams of carbon emitted for that day. So it was much different. And if you extrapolate that along 52 weeks for a year, that is the equivalent of taking out over like 300 miles off of a car on a road 
for that single year. It's pretty significant when you're putting it in terms of another item, when you're thinking about like driving your car versus just your very basic food choices. And I'm also really interested and glad that you highlighted the idea that you're part of this group of people who are concerned about protein. You're part of this friend group who is trying to build muscle and go to the gym and do all of these like macho man things. And I'm interested to know also like where you see this going in the future. Like how can we start talking to people about climate change and the necessity to maybe switch their diets a little bit or the necessity to talk about environmental concerns more openly? How are we going to accomplish these things? Have you thought about that at all? Um, yes and no. So my main thing that I led into when I would tell them about like this diet, I was like, listen, I'm not here to preach to you. I'm not here to shove a diet down your throat. I'm just presenting you with my facts. You're still making your same life choices. Am I going to resent you for your life choices? No. Do I think you should be making the different life choices? Yes. And I feel like that's the way we need to approach any type of climate conversation is you need to do it as a more, it needs to be your change. It can't be me infecting you with that change. Because like any of these fad diets, either, anyway, if you start out with a fad diet, you're going to hit it hard for a week or two and then you're like, eh, and fall back into your regular habits. It's got to be a change that comes from within. And all you can really do is present the facts to people and see what they say. Whereas I actually got some feedback from one of my buddies. He was up there on like one of the extreme diets that I had seen out of anyone. And after I showed him this, all of this info, he ended up watching Game Changers on Netflix which Arnold Schwarzenegger and I can't think of the other people that are on it, but they laid out like what in a complete vegan diet would be for an athlete and how much better they became as athletes. He did that. He immediately flipped his diet to a plant-based diet just because he was presented with these facts. He's like, Oh, well, it's actually a really a real thing. You just need to be able to convey it to people in, an, in a way that doesn't seem like you're forcing them, make it their idea, incept them in a way. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it because I feel like I hear that a lot with climate conversations in general when you want people to kind of come to terms with the fact that climate change is a real issue that we're facing, that we do have to really overhaul our economy and our communities and things like that. When you present climate information in a way that's really relatable to people, then they start to care and then they start to see it at a perspective that makes a difference to them and their habits. And I guess looking at climate and diet and looking at climate and just how we're stigmatizing certain genders caring more about climate or climate being a feminine or a masculine issue, whatever it may be, you have to make it in a way that's super digestible. And looking at people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, maybe, or someone in your life who's already doing it is a really easy way to start modeling your habits a little bit more. So I think that's a really good idea, just putting, putting people in the right mindset to accept these things. And I think that kind of, you're totally right. It's the way that we have to talk about all environmental conversations. So I guess closing off, I'm interested to know if there's any other points that we haven't touched on that you are interested in, in sharing. Yeah, I actually have a few more points. So I don't know if people listened to our last episode we had together, but we met each other on the size CSA trip into Chicago. It was a sustainability initiative to revamp West Lawndale. I went and reached out to the two programs that I had done that were very similar. So size and the green program, which was an experiential trip to Iceland to learn about the environment and everything like that. And I reached out to them to get their gender data from those places to see, you know what, how, what's the breakdown here? Does that, does the, does my friend group translate and correlate to the greater good to everyone studying climate change 
And I was actually completely surprised by this because when you look at the environmental world or the people involved in environmentalism, it is damn near split evenly. So the green program, it's broken down where women going on the trip are going on at a 56% rate, men are 44%. You look at size and it's male is 54, female 46. So there's more men doing the size program than females. So it's very around the middle for those. But when it comes to internal groups and people outside of the environmental realm, it's more split. So I thought that was super interesting. I don't know if you have anything you want to like throw into that. Yeah, that's interesting. That kind of makes me want to conduct my own surveys just in my friend groups and on social media and things like that, because I feel like I don't bring these conversations up that often in real life. Sometimes it's because I think so much about climate change and environmental issues that I feel like other people in my life don't want to talk about it <laughs> as much as I do. So I don't really have these conversations that often. And I do automatically assume sometimes when I'm meeting someone new, when I'm in a friend group, people will just kind of accept environmental habits like skipping a straw or no one's going to question me if I'm ordering a vegan meal. But I also don't want to be super upfront about it. I don't want to have a conversation about bringing my own metal straw or why I want to ask for my meal without cheese or something like that. Like I'm also someone who doesn't actively want to talk about my environmental concerns in real life because I feel like Sometimes maybe it's like I have a little bit of anxiety. Like I just don't want to bring up any conversations that are going to create conflict. Right. So, no, I completely agree with that. Yeah. So I automatically assume that other people don't want to talk about climate change. And I automatically assume that other people will just kind of do whatever is best for them in their situation. And it's not always what I would choose. But again, like I, I don't want to feel like I'm ever preaching to someone or pushing my you know environmental agenda down anyone's throat. So I feel like it's also just tricky to have these conversations regardless of who you're speaking with in general. I never know if it's the right situation to bring it up with a new group of people. I completely, I would mirror out everything that you just had to say. I think that you hit the nail on the head with that. I also have another little stat here. One stat I kind of looked into regarding your overall arching theme of like fragile masculinity around climate change. It was based on what you had brought up earlier, Laura, the hunter-gatherer or how gender roles had been assigned since like the beginning of time, look at male and female employment um, over time right now. So full-time males are employed at a 87.6% clip, whereas females are employed at a 75.1% clip. So there's still a little discrepancy in there. It has obviously become much closer in recent ages, which is very good. I love the movement there. But you look towards that and the men are, I don't know if you, want, if you want to say that they're working more, more men are working. So it's not like they don't interact with going to the grocery store, shopping as much as females do, or the way that females are perceived to do. They're the ones that are going to the store and shopping for the kids, shopping for the family. And they can make more of those choices, whereas the men don't have as much of an input in it, on it. And when you bring it to light, when you bring climate change to light, inject that broad blanket over all of these life choices and all the way that the gender has been assigned, it's like, oh, well, she'll take care of that. That's her problem. I don't have to worry about this. And I feel that has been a wall that needs to get broken through, a barrier that needs to get pushed past. I'm glad you brought that up because that makes a lot of sense now that you're kind of laying it out in that way that the roles in a household also have a lot to do with how people are perceiving their own environmental action or 
environmental necessity to act essentially. And I hadn't really thought about it in that light to an extent. Uh, I think that it's also interesting to think about the way that grocery stores are supporting certain actions or, you know, we talk a lot about supply and demand and I love talking about the economy on this show and the way that consumerism can really shape the economy. And as people are transitioning more to vegan diets and plant-based diets, there are more things in the grocery store that are supporting that. And at the end of the day, like who's making that choice and who is really pushing for those brands to come out with more products. Like a lot of the time it is women. A lot of the time it is the women that are shopping for households, the women who are making the decisions for their entire families. So it's also interesting to think how much influence a woman can have on her family, on her friend group, on just the people in her immediate circle that she's interacting with on a day-to-day basis. So I feel like that's also really encouraging in a sense that you don't necessarily have to change everyone's mind, but if there's like three or four people that you are not responsible for, but even people that you live with, your roommates, whatever, that's enough. And like that works and that matters as well. Right. Because you tell one of them something and I guess, guess what? They just spread it to one or two more people. And it's just a slow trickle down that nothing's going to change overnight, but small changes daily impact greatly when exponentially expanded. That was a mouthful, but I get it. (laughs) You get it. I guess my one thing that I would kind of throw upon like the male population like myself, it actually blew my mind when I looked into all the people that adopted vegan diets or vegetarian diets, all the stars, the athletes, the movie stars that were adopting these guys like Casey Affleck, Russell Brand, Woody Harrelson, Maurice Jones-Drew, Liam Hemsworth, Zac Efron, Joaquin Phoenix, and um, Leonardo DiCaprio. He had, he's one of the front runners of all this. He went in his speech at the, when he won his award for the Revenant, I can't even, I don't even, I don't know award shows, but whatever award show that was. But it's more, it was more eye-opening that all of these elite athletes and elite humans were adopted this lifestyle, but it never, it's thrown to the side. No one ever talks about it. And I don't know why. And I don't know why there's such a stigma here. And I think that it is our duty to break that stigma. And we need to be more men-vironmentally friendly instead of just environmentally friendly. I hope you very thoroughly enjoyed this episode of EcoChic, exploring this big picture conversation of why does environmentalism sometimes get stigmatized as feminine? I'm really excited to hear your thoughts and your feedback. Don't forget to rate and review. And with that, thank you so, so much for listening. And I'll talk to you really soon. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.